0: Good morning, church. My name is Joel Dunn. I'm one of the elders here at Redeemer, and I will be reading Acts 1, verses 6 through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they looked on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks you, God. <clears throat> well, Good morning. Uh, My name is Ryan. I am uh, one of the pastors here. You got to meet Brian earlier, um, and we are grateful to serve Redeemer. We're grateful that you would join us this morning to gather, to worship Jesus. Um, Today, uh, we are going to be talking about our third cultural pillar, that is Go. You may have seen the artwork in the hallway, Pray, Celebrate, Go. These are our cultural values, these pillars that we... Um, hope to to cling to and practice that would develop in us this this culture of depending on uh, the Father, Son, and Spirit. And so, um, we've been talking about these two. We we preached through pray a couple weeks ago, and last week Brian got to um, teach us some about celebrating in gratitude. And then today we're going to talk about going. Now, this is our third um, sermon in the series for January, but we will be coming back to these things uh, throughout the year. We've got a few standalone sermons set aside for us to come back to, um, but also we're going to continue focusing on that, um, developing a culture of humility and and asking the Lord to develop a culture of humility through the year. And so One of those ways that we're going to ask the Lord to do that is as we study the book of Micah. Um, Micah is a minor prophet, um, and so uh, it's seven chapters, and you might see the books out in uh, on the other side of these doors here. On your way out, please grab one of those if you're going to be with us for the next eight weeks as we study through Micah. That's our gift to you. Um, we, we hope that you use those scripture journals Um, to pray through Micah with us, to study Micah throughout the week, and to just meditate on the message that the Holy Spirit has for us in that book. I want to encourage you two things. If you get those books, write your name in them. You will leave it behind somewhere, probably here, and they blend into the chairs. Um, Write your name and and maybe your phone number, Um, but also hang on to that book when we're done because it's also got Jonah, Nahum, and Habakkuk and we will probably come back to one of those uh, at some point, and maybe um, all of them in the life of our church. That would be pretty awesome if we did that. But um, please do come and join us for uh, eight weeks in Micah. Um, Now, as we talk about Go, I want to start with an image. San Angelo is obviously in the desert. Um, Is anyone not from San Angelo in a place that's not the desert? Six people, yeah? Okay, Um, that's like just one of the the great things about San Angelo, it retains its people. Um, So that's not a warning, it's a promise. Um, But San Angelo is obviously in the desert, right? And we're familiar, not today, not in the last couple of weeks, but we're familiar with the heat we're familiar with the parched ground. We're familiar with how strange it feels in the middle of um, like that transition from spring to summer when life is supposed to be around us and trees have leaves and the only thing we see are mesquite trees. And we know like what that feels like to be surrounded by wildfire ash and drought and like how dangerous it feels and the risk that comes with knowing well, our uh, local city water is like at 2%, and we need some rain. We know how that feels, right? Um, and if you don't, just stick around. It's going to happen in some time that you're here. We're just surrounded by brown. And that, that parched land, the thirsty um, soil, prepares... what if if the Concho River just filled up? What if we just got an insane amount of rain? And this happened eight years ago, right? Eight, nine years ago. What if we just got so much rain that the Concho River filled up and all of its distributaries filled up and all the creeks and all the ranches and all the farms filled up? Can you imagine what would happen to the foliage around our city. Can you imagine life coming back to pecan trees? Can you imagine like our yards actually being green for more than three weeks out of the year? Can you imagine even what that would do for our economy as our farms and our ranches would would have some more life come back to them? with this river in the middle of our city that meanders its way into the parched land and finds its way outside of the city limits into the dry desert. Now, also imagine what it would feel like to be able to um, go into the water without fear of catching an infection of some sort. (laughs) We'd be able to enjoy playing in our lakes and the Concho River. We'd be able to enjoy maybe being out in the hot summers because we have something to swim in. The point that I'm making is that when this river is full, life flourishes around it. Now, the river, as it fills up, it goes wherever it wants, and it makes its way into these parched, dry places, and wherever it goes, it brings life. Now, this is a, an illustration, an image of the Holy Spirit in our lives working through the kingdom of God. And I want to point out, we are not the river. We are not the river. The church is not the river. Redeemer is not the river. Christians are not the river. Jesus and his Holy Spirit, they are the river, okay? Now, if, the, if we take this image and we apply it to our theology about who is the river and and who are we, then the river of life, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the Father sends them wherever he wants them to go. And wherever they go, he brings life. And so as we look at Acts 1, 6 through 11, as we meditate on these scriptures, I want us to, to hang on to one phrase. Right? We try to do this, Um, we we try to make this like one, like a keychain verse that you can just take with you and remember. I've never called it that before, but that was good. I just came up with that. Jesus came to us, so we go. That's what I want bouncing around in your mind. And if you come back to Acts 1, 6 through 11 later this week and pray through that and think on that, look at your notes from this morning again. I want you thinking... Jesus came to us, so we go. Now, I want to point out, before we get into this, there's two things that I want to identify because things can go off the rails really quickly. We can actually start propagating and believing a false gospel if we don't clear this up right now. And so there's two ways that we can go. There's two ways that we can obey Jesus' command in Matthew 28 and the the end of the other Gospels to go into all the world and make disciples, right? His command here that, that you'll be my witnesses. There's two ways that we can do this. One, go from relationship. So going from and for relationship is how you love somebody, so you do something for them, you do something with them, Right? And then whatever you do, you're actually, your goal in that is to make that relationship flourish. This is an actually obedient way to go, to go on mission, to, to be in community. Our, our love for Jesus, but also our love for the people that we go to. So that's the first way, go from relationship. The second way is go from performance. Now this is the false gospel. And the false gospel here is that we would, we would live in such a way to try to prove our Christianity. That in going from and for performance, we're actually not responding to overflowing affection for Jesus, but we're responding to shame in ourselves, that we have to cover up whatever's broken in us, that we have to do something to make sure that Jesus knows I'm Christian enough because if I died right now, I'm not sure what's going to happen to me. And so I've got to obey to make sure that I'm in. That's a false gospel. It's actually the most dangerous way to live your life. Thinking you're obedient, but you're just trying to do Jesus' work for him. He gives us a warning in Matthew 7. It's, it's a scary warning You've probably read this, you've probably felt the anxiety of this, this text before. You've probably wondered, what in the world? Why would Jesus even say this? So let's look real quick, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Now, I want to point out, between going from relationship and going from performance, we are all probably a mixture of both. We're rarely all the way in one or the other. We're probably a mixture of both. And I'm, I'm right in there with you. And so the anxiety that we feel when we read Matthew 7, 21 through 23, is a shared anxiety. But I'm hoping that through today, we're going we're gonna to grow in a, with a little bit more understanding of who Jesus is and what he's calling us into, really what he's inviting us into. So let's read Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Didn't we obey? Didn't we go? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Depart from me, you disobedient people. It, here's the point that Jesus is making here. It is possible to obey without ever knowing him. And that that actually isn't obedience. It's a false gospel. Don't believe it. It's the most dangerous way to live, thinking we're obeying, but really we're just striving. We're trying to perform and make sure that that our good works make sure that we get into heaven. Something that comes all throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. Jesus doesn't need our, our obedience. Jesus doesn't need our obedience. He wants us. He wants our hearts. He wants our relationship. Let's look at verses 6 through 7 of Acts 1. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now, there's a couple of things here that really characterize the disciples, um, not just the disciples, but all of humanity. Like we see just thorough human flaw in the disciples right here. Now, one of those things is that they're, and this isn't necessarily a flaw, but one of those things is they're ready for the end. The flaw is in their wanting to know what they don't need to or shouldn't be knowing yet but their desire to know comes from their desire for the end. Like, they want the resurrection. They were actually remembering, okay, Jesus said he would die, and then he rose, and he showed himself to us. And if you look before uh, verse 6, verses 1 through 5 in Acts 1, we actually learn that he revealed himself to the disciples over a number of days, multiple times. And so Jesus rose from the dead, And before he ascends into heaven, he's making this promise of the resurrection that he's made before. And so they're like, all right, sweet, you died, you came back to life, we believe you again. Do we get it? Do we get the resurrection? Do we get to live in the freedom and the hope and the peace and the fulfillment of the kingdom that you promised us? And Jesus doesn't respond to the question. He says, it's not for you to know that that's actually knowledge withheld from you. So the desire for the end is a good desire. That's actually a a desire given to us by the Holy Spirit, that we would want the resurrection, that we would want the rewards in our inheritance that Jesus made possible for us. And we'll come back to that in a few minutes. But the, the human flaw here is actually this pursuit and this desire, this asking for forbidden knowledge. And I've got to walk a fine line, right? Because Scripture tells us knowledge is good. So it's good. And actually, Paul prays for knowledge when he writes to the churches. If you read Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1 and a few other letters throughout the New Testament, you will learn that... um, Paul is actually praying that the church would grow in its knowledge. But it's not theological knowledge. It's not um, Bible memorization. It's not um, that, that we would have better apologetics, that we would even have a better um, understanding of what it means to be missional and to go. Paul is praying for the church to have increased knowledge of Jesus. So not this intellectual prowess. That we think is just like this definition of what it means to be a Christian. I've got to be smart enough. I've got to have it figured out enough. But it's actually knowledge of what makes us Christian, our Savior. That's the knowledge that we need. What the, the disciples are asking for is a refined eschatology bring the end to us. It's here, right? Let us know what we need to know in order for the end to come. And Jesus says, that's not the point. So here's my encouragement for you. As you wait for the end, as you long for the end, as you look into heaven and you desire the resurrection with Christ, you desire the inheritance that was won for you, your sin was defeated so that you would have eternity with Christ, as you wait for that, Don't neglect the reality that Jesus bought you life today in San Angelo. You have a life to live now. And he gives you work to do now. You will be anxious for more knowledge. You will be anxious for the people that don't know enough to know enough. You will be anxious to be more mature, to have security in this intellectual, like, status. And you're going to beat yourself up when you don't have what you think you should have. You're going to feel behind, and like we say a lot here, you're not behind. You're exactly where the Spirit has you. You'll want to know more than you need to know, but let me tell you something, that, that as you go... This is more important to you. You don't need to know anything. You need the Holy Spirit. Jesus will teach you everything you need to know. The Holy Spirit will be in you and and give you the words to speak. Now, what I'm not saying is don't study. Don't read. Don't pursue growth in biblical knowledge. What I am saying is don't don't make an idol out of intellectual ability. Don't make your Christianity knowing more. Know Jesus. He'll teach you what you need to know. The Holy Spirit will give you the words. That leads us into verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Um, that middle part. You will be my witnesses. So it means wherever you go, whenever you go, You're meant to go there, and the Spirit will be with you. You will be witnesses. That means you take a story of the transforming power of the gospel with you. Now, if you're a Christian, you're a believer in in the, the gospel that we're talking about here, wherever you go, whenever you go there, you take the story of how Jesus transformed you with you. You have a witness. You have a story to tell. Um. you are a walking and talking display of the gospel. Some of us do a lot more walking than talking. I'm one of those. The people that know me laugh. I do a lot of talking. But you are a display of the gospel to your church and to your city. And so we're, I want us to understand there's two um, I guess, circles of spheres of influence that uh, the Spirit gives us to, invites us into going to. And that's in our community, in our church, and in our city. Um, you're called to go, you are called to go to your church family. Look throughout the New Testament. You see these phrases called one another Phrases, one another statements, one another verses. Just Google one another verses, and there's thirty some odd number of them, like, and just read them all. You are called to go to one another, and so this is a shameless plug for our small groups, and uh, the connect card that Brian uh, let you guys know about earlier. There's a QR code on the back of some of these chairs. There's paper cards. There's more cards out in the cafe. Come talk to somebody with a lanyard. You are called to go to one another. We call this community, right? Now, if we're, if we're trying to understand what Jesus invites us into in terms of going as a relationship, then that means those um, connections that we make at a place like a small group We go and we let people go to us based on our relationship. Now, um, I don't see Mark. Mark and Alice, are you guys in here? They must be watching. Mark is in my small group, okay? Um, I need to be reminded of the gospel. Mark needs to be reminded of the gospel. And Mark and Alice just started coming to our small group a couple weeks ago Uh, And so this is going to take time. We move at the pace of the Holy Spirit, which can sometimes be frustratingly slow, embarrassingly slow. Um, But what I mean to say in that is don't give up too soon. Or just don't give up. Work at the pace of the Spirit. It's going to take time. Settle in, right? And so right now, Mark and I are developing a relationship. But how do you think we develop a relationship? We share our stories, We let each other be known by one another so that Mark knows my story and he knows the shame I carry. And when that shame starts to come out, he can say, hold on, Ryan. Man, you need to be be reminded of the gospel. And he can preach Jesus to me. He can remind me that I'm a new creation. He can remind me of Romans whenever it says, there is therefore now no condemnation. And when Mark needs to be reminded of the gospel because he shared his story and I know him, I can preach the gospel to him. This isn't just, going isn't only about going to community, going with other believers. It's also about going to our city, going to the people near us. Now, what I'm not saying is that the only form of going is go to the north side of San Angelo. We're here on the south side, so you've got to go way over there. Go over there. Help, help those people. Know those people. Go to the east side and the west side and central San Angelo. Go wherever. But you also have people that you interact with on a regular basis. There are people in your life that you work with, that you share maybe a last name with, They may be in your will. And they don't know the hope that they have in Jesus. The hope that's available to them. They don't know this inheritance of a resurrection. They don't know that the deep sorrow that they feel has the potential to be healed today and and erased from all eternity. They don't know. They don't know that maybe somebody's praying for them They don't know that they don't have to be anxious about tomorrow, but that their Father in Heaven sees them and knows every need that they have. They don't know. And so, how can they know? They can know by you going and knowing them. And you learn their story. And you share your story. Because the story that you've given, every single person in this room right now has a story of gospel transformation. And whenever you take your story, there's something special and unique and spirit-filled in that that preaches the gospel to somebody else, and you will—you may never know it. You just share who you are. We don't have to, we don't have to treat... Um, the people in our lives, like projects, like oh, I'm I've got to evangelize this cousin. I've got to evangelize this coworker. We cannot argue faith into anybody. The best advice that was ever given to me before I was sent out to be a pastor was: you cannot give anyone an epiphany. You can only give them yourself. So as you go to your community, but also as you go to the people in your life and in, in other parts of San Angelo, just relax. You cannot give them an epiphany. You cannot change their minds. Just give them yourself. Give them your story. And the Spirit is in charge of when their hearts are softened and their ears are opened. You just keep showing up faithfully. And be in a relationship with them. Jesus has come to us, so we go. And like we see in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And if you've put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Spirit is in you, so you go. Now let's look at verses 9 through 10. repeated here? How many times is the point that they're gazing into heaven repeated here? That should spark something in our imagination. There's some repetition. I better pay attention. This is not the point of verses 9 through 11. It's one point. Now, like we saw a lot of the humanity and the the flaws of the disciples about like, hurry up and give us the things that we need and hurry up and bring the resurrection and they forgot that Jesus was like, hey, you're going to be beaten and flogged, you're going to be brought before the courts, you're going to like actually preach the gospel in these courts and you're going to be thrown in jail and preach the gospel. They forgot about that. But they didn't forget about the resurrection because as Jesus was ascending, they were gazing into heaven. We can learn from the disciples gazing into heaven, what fuels and motivates our going. I would be willing to guess that most of us in this room don't lack knowledge that we're supposed to go. We probably don't even lack this compulsion to go. Like, I kind of know how Jesus has wired me and made me in order to go into my community and into the people. I know the relationships. I think what most of us lack is courage to go. And, and I also think what most of us lack is motivation to go. And I just want to just say, I know many of you, you're already going. It doesn't have to be like this hyper-formal thing and like every single time you see and talk to lost people that like the the gospel is just like spilling out of your mouth because the spirit's in you and he's transformed and continuing to transform you you're going but i also want to find a way from here to give you courage to give you confidence to give you assurance not in yourself but in Christ and in the spirit in you that he is Doing the work. So let's let's look at these verses and, and try to find some courage. To connect with your community, with your um, small group if you're in one, to connect with the people in your lives as you go to the gym, as you clock in at work, as you stand by the parents of your child's soccer teammates or baseball teammates or gymnastics friends, as you're surrounded by people who have no idea of the hope that they could have in Christ, gaze into heaven. Do what the disciples are doing here. And Even when the angels say, hey, why are you looking into heaven? They actually say, Jesus will come back. So they don't rebuke them for looking. They're just like, hey, don't just stand there. Take it with you. Jesus will come back. Gaze into heaven. It's important that we realize that Jesus didn't die on the cross and be raised from the dead and ascend into heaven simply and merely and just to save us. What's on the other side of that salvation? If it's not the resurrection, then so what? But we are saved to the resurrection. That's why Easter is such a big deal to the Christian world. We are saved into, and here's a resurrection, eternal life with Jesus. Now, some of us are probably like, that sounds kind of boring. Because I think I've heard a song or two that we're just going to be standing there for thousands of years worshiping. Yeah, but not like that. We're going to be worshiping Jesus in our relationships with one another, in our enjoying creation together, in actually, okay, we're about to read Revelation 21. And what I'm going to read to you, I want you to be thinking about how it's not that Jesus did these things for us, it's that his presence... Actually, it, it heals all of our wounds. It's the presence of God with us that makes the resurrection worth it. Let's read Revelation 21, verses 3 through 4. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God, relationship. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Let's settle into that picture of Jesus wiping away your tears. When we get into the resurrection... He doesn't snap his fingers and say, boom, no more sadness. Never happened. He doesn't men and black you, and then you, it's like nothing ever happened. He puts his gentle hand up on your face, and with his thumb, he just wipes away your sadness. He heals you. And it's not this, like, miraculous, like... I don't know how better to explain this. It's not like the force in Star Wars. You're healed because he's with you. And you know everything's going to be okay. You know you're safe. You know your body is fixed. You know your mind is fixed. You know your relationships are healed. And you know that the boundary between the physical and the spiritual world is wiped away And you finally get to see your Savior face to face and tell him thank you. Gaze into heaven. Go and be witnesses. But keep gazing into heaven. Every day is one day closer to sin not holding us back, to disease not holding us back to our anxieties and our depression not holding us back to our our internal fears of what are people going to think not holding us back we have this picture of, of Jesus in heaven just stay there and then go Jesus has come to us and so we go There, is, there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people in San Angelo, in Ballinger, in Mertzen, in Wall, in Cristoval, who don't know. But we go to tell them there's a river. And it's going to make its way into the parched ground. It's going to bring life into the soil. There is a river. Now, communion um, is a time for us to pray on earth as it is in heaven in me as it is in heaven, in Redeemer as it is in heaven, in St. Angelo as it is in heaven. So as we gaze into heaven and keep our eyes on the resurrection, we also get to pray, Jesus, would you bring that here, please? In communion is a weekly practice of reminding our souls and our brothers and sisters, heaven will come to earth. There is a river. And so if if this is your confession, that, that Jesus has given himself up, that the Father has sent the Son to win our forgiveness, our adoption, and our restoration, and that the Son has invited us in to building this kingdom, and he sends us in the Holy Spirit, If this is your confession, then come to the table. Take the bread, the body of Christ. Take the cup, the blood of Christ. And every time we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And if this is not your confession, then I've given it all to you. And I don't have anything else to say, but but please consider Jesus. And so, Lord, Lord Jesus, we are not worthy to receive you, but it's only in your blood that we are healed. Would you please join me at the table?